When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Curioso, and welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 182, Converting Wales. We have talked to some degree about the desire amongst the Puritans in Parliament to gain control of the religious education in Wales. There were concerns about the ways religion spread in Wales and con- how they continued to shy away from Puritan ideas and Puritan thought, something that disturbed and bothered those of the Puritan religion and of those that followed that style of Calvinist faith. So, on February 22nd, 1650, Parliament passed the Act for the Better Propagation and Preaching of the Gospel in Wales. This was the great act that would set into law the goals of their faith in Wales. The initial commission was established to oversee the project, and it was up to them to enforce and carry on the goals that were set out by Parliament. Of the 71 commissioners who were established, 25 of them were Englishmen from the border countries. The rest were then made up of lay preachers, yeomen, lawyers, and other professionals, as well as former soldiers who all came from heavily Anglicized parts of Wales. Few likely spoke Welsh as their main language and may have had little in the way of sympathy for the language. It could very well be the case that many of them didn't even know Welsh. So with that in mind, because we know that Puritan doctrine and Puritan writings had strictly been in English to this point, it would come as no surprise that there would not be a high level of converts who would be Welsh-speaking. Interestingly, however, there were 25 appointed ministers who were set to over, as overseers for this project. They were to confirm the preaching of the gospel based on all of these other commissioners. They were to approve the men who were appointed to the commission and confirm their faith. Yet, of these many ministers, few of these Welsh preachers were even of the same strain of Protestantism and some were completely outside of the Puritan strain altogether. The roles of the commission was to oversee the setting up of new churches with preachers as well as administration of the church, as well as the educators who would be brought in to teach the local populace both in the right way of worship and to create more uh, adherents that would be able to spread the word of the faith. They were also responsible for the managing of problems in the local area. This role would see them adjudicate charges brought against any local clergy, as well as the hiring and firing of these clergy. Along with all of this, they seem to have been given quasi-judicial powers in Wales to oversee legal matters as a secondary check and balance along with the courts. This meant that they were controlling a lot more than just religious worship in the area. 
Over three years, they remade religious leadership in Wales, firing 278 clergymen across the country. In a few cases, these men retired. Others got different jobs, including as school educators under the system. And a few, however, went rogue and held their own private schools, while others went even more rogue and helped began communities that were to establish their own churches and independent ministries. And from this, they started to flourish. Some of these former ministers started to get proactive, publishing against their fellows who were in the new positions. These new clerics were now in the firing line of these older clerics. Alexander Griffith, for example, a former vicar of Glassbury, was removed during one of these purges. He became an agitator against the policy and especially against Vavasor Powell, who we mentioned previously, had become a strong feature in the Welsh clergy and politics during this period. Griffith called him a metropolitan of itinerants, effectively insulting him, or in other words, as the head of a wandering preacher band, as well as seen as a leader who was seeking to overthrow Anglican priests. In 1652, Griffiths organized a petition against the act and published a pamphlet against it, Something that was a feature of most of these, in quotes, battles, was the flurry of paper spun by the various sides. In 1654, he published the Strena Vavasornisis, a tract of 28 pages which was filled with propaganda about Vavasor's whole course of life, his doctrines, and his opposition to the protectorate. This likely came from Powell's denunciation of the Protectorate in December of 1653. The evidence of his virile pamphlets was accepted by most Anglican critics of the Puritan leadership. As anyone on social media knows, of course, it doesn't matter as much if it's true as whether it agrees with your viewpoint. And certainly when someone is against Powell, using someone who disagrees with him and is spouting something along the lines nearing um, yellow journalism, to use an older term, it would be useful to them in what they were trying to do and what they were trying to accomplish. So it didn't really matter to them that they didn't necessarily agree with this man, Griffiths, who was an Anglican. The comments of Powell, likely as well as these documents, sent to the leadership of England led to his imprisonment in 1653, a year before the main document was published as a massive pamphlet. Powell's exuberance for Puritan ideals would see him in and out of jail until his death in 1670. He was a pillar in the Puritan community right up until his death. The elimination of so many Anglican priests did have an effect on the overall ability to offer services in Wales, so much so that some found themselves starting to be offered positions back as soon as 1652. In other cases, traveling ministers were sent out to take care of the various flocks. These itinerant preachers were of varying degrees of trained ministers. Some were leading philosophers and clerics, like Powell. Others were former soldiers or farmers who had become convinced to spread the faith. Some were tradespeople. Effectively, they were just people who caught uh, the spirit of the day and were out to try and spread the word of God. Um, There were about 70 or so of 
that traveled to farms, villages, and towns throughout Wales, spreading their Calvinism or Baptist ministries, creating communities of believers who would make up the nonconformists, who would be quite popular in parts of Wales in later centuries to follow. The makeup of these preachers and their lack of training in some cases led them to being despised by those of the old Anglican faith, obviously. In some cases, there was verbal harassment, to, up, including physical confrontations. Many ridiculed them and attacked them as zealots, which was combined with the general distrust of the English-only preaching, because, reminder, Puritans only spoke English, something that would have done them no favors in Welsh-speaking parts of Wales in the west and to the north, as you can imagine. Over three years, the acts became fairly obvious to everyone that it wasn't working, and that the ability of the various preachers and teachers and anti-Anglican laypeople would not be able to manage the amount of area they were trying to cover and couldn't even offer basic services to people. Many simply stopped traveling and slowly went from wide-ranging movement to being nothing more than covering smaller and smaller areas, which led to less and less people receiving these Puritan ideas. You can also imagine that as they went into Welsh-speaking only areas, they would receive, at first, if nothing else, a frosty welcome, but certainly would not receive the acceptance and conformity that they probably hoped or expected. Obviously, this also meant that these regions saw few, if any, preachers, which might not seem to a big deal in the modern sense during this era when religion is something on the downhill in European countries. During this time period, when it was a hotbed across all of Europe, it was a major issue. Faith was at the center of life in Europe, and at this moment, religious wars, reformations, counter-reformations, and inquisitions were all in place to counter various so-called heresies, as understood by the various versions of Christianity and those that were either defending, attacking, or ruling using them. Other faiths, such as Jewish, Islamic, and, of course, other local faiths in the colonies, were then facing pressures to convert to these various religious ideals. Remember, at this point, you're starting to have the foundations of Jamestown, the beginnings of the 13 colonies in America, the foundations of Quebec and Montreal in, in what would then be called New France. There was all of the expansion of the Spanish in South and Central America and in the Caribbean. So all of these various expansions ran into people who were worshipping things that did not match up with the so-called Christian ideals and thus were ripe for conversion, if not destruction, depending on the circumstance, situation, and who was in charge at the time. Something that, of course, would be of great importance to the European Christian movements of the day, particularly when they're bickering amongst themselves and trying to convince each other that the other side is a heresy or that they're wrong or satanic or fill in the blank. So many of this cross argument would work that way. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. 
Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. With the failures of the commission, the Puritans went back to the drawing board. Legislation was then created in 1654, known as the Commission for the Approbation of Public Preachers. This was established to try and fix the deficiencies of the previous attempt and bring Wales into the Puritan ideal. The commission was established in London and called the Triers. It was made up of nine laymen and 29 ministers, so it was much more faith top-heavy and it officially brought to the end the itinerant system of traveling priests, which, as we had said earlier, was already falling apart. Pay for the new ministry was small and often deficient even at that number of people. Ministers were paid about £100 a year, and while that seems tiny these days, or a lot if you're looking at it from their perspective, the reality of it was few, if any, were actually ever paid that sum. Many existed on far less than that, and some were left with nearly nothing to work with. The problem with this, of course, is however these dioceses existed, the ones that had existed previously had started to decentralize and become much wider. The Catholic faith from 200 years previous had much wider range of churches and cathedrals to look after, and so they were much more spread out. 
that kind of thing wasn't as possible in the Anglican faith and is even less so under the Puritans because the reality of it was there was less and less of the right preacher and you didn't have a centralizing source like Rome where they educated preachers or in this case priests in the language of the locals as well as the language of Latin which was the lingua of everything in Europe up until then. So with that in mind, they were going in with what they could find. And as with previous attempts, finding and educating experienced ministers was elusive. It would not be until 1657 that there was even enough ministers to cover the areas that were needed to be covered. Many of them, once again, were young, uneducated, and inexperienced, and worse yet, few spoke Welsh. So once again, we have this diversion between what the English government wants and how it perceives that it will work versus the reality on the ground in Wales and a lack of understanding of how things work in Wales or how to approach things in Wales. There just seems to be such a disconnect, which, I mean, you can understand how it happens, especially with the bigotry of the time period and the mentality of the people in London. But at the same time, you kind of sit there and wonder, you know, if you're trying to spread your gospel or your ideals, shouldn't the first step be sending people who can speak the language, who can talk to the majority of the population, who don't necessarily want to or can understand you? All of this, of course, is important and critical. And it continues to create divides in the congregations as the outsiders took up their posts. Some scholars see this as an active ideal to gain further Anglicanization by further linking faith, government, and trade to learning and working in English. Yet, even with that, attempts were discussed about setting up a college in Wales, working to try and teach local Welsh and create homegrown ministers. But that attempt once again came and went without further success. Higher education, as I've mentioned in the past, does not enter Wales until the Victorian era. This would continue to be a sore spot. Quakers would become the biggest beneficiaries of the expansion of nonconformity into Wales. George Fox founded the Society of Friends in Northern England, and he shared his religious beliefs and philosophies with others, speaking to increasingly larger gatherings. This was happening even though his views were perceived as a threat to the society. Not the Society of Friends, but rather to the overall Society of England. Something outside the norm which was punished, and he was thereupon jailed for blasphemy in 1650. Yet it did not stop Fox and other early Quakers from continuing to share their beliefs. In 1652, he met Margaret Fell, who would become another leader in the early Quaker movement. Her home, Swarthmore Hall, in northwest England, served as a gathering place for many of the first Quakers. It was while he was here that Morgan Lloyd sent members of the Wrexham congregation to check out what these Quakers were about and to report back to Lloyd, who was intrigued by this society. The term Quakers had emerged as a derisive nickname for Fox and his followers who shared their concepts and beliefs. Specifically, the Quakers focused on a biblical passage 
which said that people should tremble at the word of the Lord. Thus came the idea of quaking as a representation of their submission to the gospel and to the Lord. This group eventually embraced this term, although the official name became Religious Society of Friends. Members were often referred to as either Friends or Quakers. Quaker missionaries were then sent to Wrexham, and they gained enough followers to set up a community in Malpas. Apologies if I mispronounce that. They also influenced a number of people, including Morgan Floyd, who did not openly join them, but seemingly had imported some of their ideas, at least in his writings. By the late autumn of 1653, the Quakers were firmly established in northeast Wales. As more and more Welsh people were converting to this new faith, preachers began to spread the message into southern Wales. Thomas Holmes, in 1654, started preaching along the south coast of Wales, hitting Cardiff, Tenby, Haverford West, and Pembroke. He would then turn his attention to preaching in the valleys, going as far as Abergavenny, finishing his mission in 1655. There were even more missionaries that would spread the word across South Wales and in the border countries. By 1657, George Fox himself had come to Wales to preach and convert people. He traveled all throughout the border areas of Wales and again into the southwest specifically. His success was likely assisted because there were more and more likely to be English-speaking communities in these areas rather than Welsh-heavy language ones, though that would change over time as more and more Welsh adherents began to convert. Emigration, which began in 1662, of Quakers leaving England and Wales, caused a heavy decline in the Quaker community in Wales specifically. Many Welsh-speaking and English-speaking Quakers would actually move to Pennsylvania, setting up Welsh-speaking enclaves in these colonies, as we've, of course, mentioned in a previous episode. One of the aspects of this meant that as people moved over, they continued to spread their faith. In fact, Quakers became quite confrontational in the early 13 colonies to the point where they used to attend meetings and sit in the back and heckle the preacher at the time, which led to the Puritans being quite unhappy with them in Massachusetts. So you can see how these things developed and changed over time. But as the Quakers became less active in proselytizing and more frequently pacifistic in ideals, they became less a threat, in quotes, and thus wouldn't have the same dynamic as they had in this particular century. One side note to all of this, and, and, and an interesting side note from my own personal uh, family history, my family on my mother's side, who were not Welsh, moved to Pennsylvania as Quakers and were part of those that set up in Pennsylvania. And something we're going to point out about a little later when you talk about the Quakers one of the issues became that they started to disagree with the local leadership over some religious issues to the point where a number of them ended up leaving the colony. And at the beginning of the new founding of America, moved north into what was then uh, Upper Canada or what we now call Ontario and set up 
in a place that they would establish called New Market, which is a city today in Ontario, and all because of religious differences. The persecution laws that were put in place after 1662 again slowed Quaker expansion and internal disputes made it difficult to grow as each sought their own version of what they considered to be the truth. In faiths, when you have a large proportion of belief that's based around your own self-revelation and your own self-contact with God, it becomes difficult to maintain cohesion because obviously people are going to feel like they get different answers to questions when you don't have a central authority figure that you respond to. First of all, it does create some of these problems, and this will be an issue in American history in the divergence of uh Protestant faith in the Americas as they went forward and the creation of, I wouldn't say a backlash, but different groups that kind of came against this, such as the um, arrivals of things like uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Adventists, the Mormons, all kind of flow out of this whole disagreement about how faith should be used and spread. Now, going back to our actual point we're trying to make here, because of both the emigration, the lack of proselytizing, and the disagreements that were being created amongst the various groups of Quakers, it turns out that the Quaker movement does not expand greatly. And in fact, over a 100-year period up to 1905, the expansion of congregations in Wales only grew by one as the congregations went from five to six. So the Society of Friends had fallen off to a point of less and less relevance in the Welsh Christian movement, but were certainly a key cog and ingredient into the expansion of what would later be called the Nonconformist Movement in Wales. And with that, I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you're having a great start to your year, uh, if you're listening to this on release, and uh, otherwise I hope you're having a great year in general. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com, or you can contact me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, you can do so through Patreon, through patreon.com forward slash Welsh History. Any contributions are very much appreciated and I do use them to help fund purchases of books and things for the research for this series. Thank you all for listening once again. I hope you have an awesome day. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Welsh History Podcast is a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find more information on them, you can do so at evergreenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II. 
And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.